welcome back to the Spencer Group podcast. I'm Dr. Micah Kostin, the head of the innovation and education practice at Spencer Group. Spencer Group is a niche executive search firm that specializes in two main sectors, um, one of which is education. In innovation and education, we partner with universities, business schools, and ed tech companies to appoint senior leadership in digital and tech. Which brings me to the topic of our discussion today, um, and I am delighted to introduce my friend, Sarah Toms. Sarah is the Chief Learning Innovation Officer at IMD in Switzerland. She was the co-founder and executive director of Wharton Interactive at the Wharton School, which she built essentially from scratch, and she's come to IMD to do that all again. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to have you with me today. Oh, Michael, thank you for the invitation and really looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, Sarah, could you tell us maybe a little bit about that journey to becoming the Chief Learning Innovation Officer at IMD? What what did that look like for you? It's certainly not a straight path. Had a career in high technology since uh, the mid 90s, you know, so we all remember the dot com heydays, you know, that's when my career was born, if you will, my origin story. But I've always been very attracted to, you know, looking at all the different places where technology intersects, you know, and, and thinking about how it's not just about building shiny things, building things that have lots and bells and whistles. It's, it's really designing with a purpose. Before going to the Wharton School, I was in pharmaceutical, but it was really working in an organization where all their profits went into research for cancer. So it wasn't a, a typical pharma company. And when I started working at the Wharton School, really looking at where technology wasn't being leveraged enough to build better things that were more immersive, more experiential, and delivering more learning to those who were experiencing what we were creating. At the Wharton School, it was leading their simulation, their serious games capabilities for a long, long time. And not just that, but also reimagining what the Wharton School's purpose in the world was in some ways. You know, when you look at our mission at Wharton Interactive, Ethan Mollick and I were really passionate about making sure we were democratizing access to education. It was all grounded in the research that showed that just even a few weeks of really good entrepreneurship education had lasting impact for years, not just to those who received that education, but to those in their network, to the people they hired. And so the impact of education on society really has been near and dear to my heart. And then fast forward to, I can't even believe that it was sort of <laughs> last year. It feels yeah. like 10 years of happened. <laughs> I met you. You reached out to me and we started to have a conversation about IMD. And the more I got to know the institution, which is truly entrepreneurial, very much looking at how we make an impact on not just the lives of individuals and organizations, but that impact that those organizations and individuals bring into society and how they do good in the world. This spoke to my North Star, it spoke to my truth. And so going through the process of getting to know IMD and, and just all the support you provided me in that process, Micah, it just seemed like a no-brainer. When I actually got the offer, I'm like, I'm there. I already feel Swiss. <laughs> so, so that's been my journey. And I started my, so it's a brand new position here at IMD that was created 
and really recognizing that technology mediation is the future, especially in this in light of this Gen AI revolution that we're in the midst of. And so with this new position, I started mid-February and so much has happened since then. I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm so delighted to have you and to begin that chat really about what you've been building. You've already started to walk us through that evolution for you as a serious game specialist. I'm really interested in what you've been doing, and I think that it's been exciting to see some of the innovation that you've already started to leverage at IMD with that background. And I wonder if we could start there, thinking about how has AI and the advancement of emerging tech help you iterate gamification in ways that you've never been able to before? So obviously, as somebody who brings that capability, that specialism, talking about what you built at Wharton, now with new capabilities in AI and emerging tech, what does that look like? How does that change gamification? I'd love to hear more. Yeah, and and not just gamification, but learning as a whole, right? And so where I like to focus is all the places where you are limited, where you're carrying with you a lot of debt from a design standpoint. So when you think about how we've designed higher education, it's still very much lecture driven. It's very much faculty driven. This concept of learner centricity, I think for the most part, and this is higher education as a whole, I'm not speaking about IMD specifically, but higher education as a whole is still very faculty centric and not learner centric enough. And then go one step further and look at all the other limitations we have. You know, you have a four-year degree, you have a two-year degree, you have a PhD. You know, this is a point in time of learning that is going to be a catalytic launching off point for you to the next stage of your life. But that's not the way the world works anymore. We're expected to continue on this lifelong growth journey, right? And so what does lifelong growth look like? So how do we kind of blast open the windows and doors of what a two or four or five year degree might look like and say, okay, how do we bring IMD's expertise and put it into the pockets of all of our participants and all of our learners? And that to me is where things get very exciting. So moving from passive learning to more active learning, and we do this because, again, it's not about the shiny objects, it's about the pedagogical sciences, which yes. is also, by the way, going through explosive growth and has its own heyday happening right now. And these sciences tell us that the way we learn best is we we roll up our sleeves and we get messy with that <laughs> you know? and we get feedback and we get very personalized about those experiences. So Gen AI for me is really about lifelong growth. It's about moving. So if you think about a two by two and you're thinking about interactivity and you're thinking about personalization, you're moving up into that top right quadrant. How do we drive hyper personalization and how do we drive more interactivity at scale? That space is where we're parlaying right now with Gen AI and the new tools and new innovations that we're creating at IMD. Uh, and it is very, very powerful and very exciting. Oh, it is exciting. And I'm going to pick up on that, not just shiny new things. We'll pick up on that a little bit later on in the conversation, because I think that is indeed what separates you out from a lot of other individuals in the space and also what you're building. It separates you out because it's about that impact. And I know that dovetails with IMD and your own DNA, but I also think it ties back to what you're saying about education. Um, and I think this is a real challenge in this space about institutions that are really they're going down a rabbit hole in terms of spending a lot of money on tech but it's not focused on what you're describing in terms of the mission of education what are you doing for the learner etc so we'll, we'll pick that up in a moment 
But you started to touch on this idea of hyper-personalized learning. And personalization of learning is definitely not a new thing. And we think about traditional personalization. And now what you're describing is hyper-personalization. Tell us a little bit more. How do you define that? What is that? What do you mean by that? And how does AI and emerging tech help you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have to be careful about getting into terms that are like <laughs> hyper, which yeah. are, you know, have a lot of hype associated with them. <laughs> exactly. And and I am aware of that. And I'm always, you know, it's it's incredibly important that what me and the team here are working on is that we're delivering on the goods and it isn't just yes. about hype. It's very, very important. What we are talking about with hyper-personalization, so where we were with personalization before was it was more of an analog approach to how personalization was delivered. So this was, you know, a human probably analyzing, having conversations. Other ways that we in the past here at IMD and we will continue to do in the future is when you look at our incredible coaches. So when you come to IMD programs, it's not just about all the conversations and what you're learning in the classroom, but you very often have a, a coach assigned to you that is going to help you in very, very personal ways with what you're specifically working on and why you're at IMD in the first place. That's a, a human to human interaction. Again, looking at the limitations of, you know, maybe it's an hour every day that you're spending with the coach when you're in a program. But then what happens when you leave the program or you graduate and you still need that coach, right? It's up to you and your organization to keep that conversation going. The other piece here is also being more adaptive to what the learner needs at the time that they need it. And sometimes we know that there can be information overload and to actually parse out information and to start to build knowledge and connections in your brain. It's not a direct transfer from the faculty's brain into the human's brain who might be sitting in the classroom. The way to really think about it is more like a stitching process. So you're stitching small pieces of fabric into your cognitive understanding of these specific areas and you're sort of making your proximal zone of development a little bit wider. And, and that's the way knowledge happens. And so with hyper-personalization, it's about handing over those pieces of fabric in more atomic ways and allowing more opportunities for practice. And again, that might not happen in the week program we might be doing in an executive education or the year-long MBA. It may take longer. It may also be what's happening with that specific individual in their day job or in their life, right? They need more mindfulness. They need more this. They need more understanding of sustainability and, and how to drive their strategy forward. But it isn't actually about sustainability in their organization. It's about change management and communication and persuasion. So it's about providing all of those skills and that support to help the larger goals happen. So again, coming back to Gen AI, this is about not necessarily having that human analog approach, which is very, very manual, and it's allowing us to build more intelligence into that relationship and actually drive without the hype, hyper-personalization. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bore down into that because you've set us this beautiful tapestry as you talk about stitching. Let's get into some of those threads a bit more. Thinking about that combination of immersive tech, I think you've written recently about how you bring immersive tech, say virtual reality or augmented, and AI together to supercharge that learning journey. Can you give us a sense for that dynamic toolkit and what you can build for the learner with AI and immersive to build out that Swiss Army knife, if you will? 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I think this is where anybody who's in the educational technology space is probably feeling very spread thin at the moment, right? To keep up with the generative AI space and just all of the releases and news. I mean, it, the news cycle is like, it feels like it's 30 minutes long. Uh, and it's like, wow, another 10 years of advancement just happened in the last 24 hours. It's It's been pretty spectacular. One thing that I think that just, I don't sound like I'm on a, uh, <laughs> on a soapbox here, but is not getting too myopic and too in love with one piece of technology, right? So generative AI is actually one small piece that is unlocking a lot of new capability that we didn't have a year ago. It is incredibly exciting. There is a lot to pay attention in that space. Like uh, when we started to build our AI strategy here in March, April, May, we started with principles. We started with, okay, how are we going to be ethical? How are we going to be human centric? How are we going to make sure that what we create is, you know, we're in the business of truth. We need to make sure this thing doesn't lie and hallucinate. So taking one small step at a time and building small experiments that we then scale up when we see success and not just kind of going whole hog into the deep end and saying this thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread and I want to be the first to market and, and show off a bit. It is about being careful. But then with getting really excited about this new technology capability, I think we also need to be paying attention to other areas of tech where there have been a lot of hype and cooling off phases when you look at the metaverse, for example. So taking a step back and looking at Web3 as a whole, we always were waiting for that semantic capability of AI and we're there. This is super, check. <laughs> now we're looking at better wearable devices. We're looking at better approaches to how we immerse ourselves, how we become more borderless in these digital spaces. And I, I would say to be really, really pedantic that we don't have a metaverse yet. We don't have this concept of a fully integrated semantic internet that we can parlay within and move from buying sneakers on one website and working in a work call on another. We don't have that yet. We have metaspaces, right? And so I think that that is the next frontier, is this next fully immersive internet, if you will, that has a better understanding of us and that we can start to build more immersive, dynamic learning environments that give us feedback. And, and I think some of it will be what we are creating in higher ed that is based on new knowledge and new frontiers of research and the latest in the science of whatever that field might be. But we're also seeing incredible learning coming out of existing technology platforms. And I hope it's okay to say a name, but Zoom is a great example. So Zoom now will give you feedback and say, you know, Sarah, you were very quiet in that call, or you didn't look like you were really paying attention or really great interaction. Here's all the, you know, and so actually giving you micro feedback about how you are as a team player is very, very valuable. But just again, thinking about how a lot of what is being built into these enterprise platforms is actually based on the expertise coming out of our DEI and other research. And this is where I, I think that bridge between technology and the future of AI and learning and research is all going to be incredibly critical. As a philosopher, you're giving us so much here. <laughs> I wonder if we could think about some of the specific pieces that you're building, because that backdrop is so important to really think about the why. Why are we doing this? How is this 
changing our ecosystems in educational contexts. Um, give it, give us a flavor for some of the pieces that you're excited about about what you're building. I know you're doing a lot with building out platforms, you're building out tools in IMD. I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you are, where you're going with those specific tools. The strategy for us here at IMD has been a complete shift. And I, I think that we are seeing AI as providing a new capability that is going to allow us to have more of an ecosystem approach yep. to IMD's vast resources, vast expertise. Right now, if you are, let's say, working on a sustainability strategy, probably one of the first things you do is you reach out to either our business development team or you reach out to our sustainability initiative and you start to have a conversation with one part of the organization. And what we're talking about with the future of IMD is having intelligence and connection into all of us and providing that sort of link back to where that knowledge comes from within our organization. And so it's providing transparency, but it's also providing more of a collective approach to how we think about expertise and knowledge and how we disseminate expertise and knowledge to those who are part of our community. So if uh, ecosystem seems to be my word of the week, <laughs> but it, it truly is. And, and it isn't actually my word. I, I have to give uh, kudos to my colleague, Delia Fisher. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it's providing a, a completely different approach to how we think about higher education. Yeah, and I think that word ecosystems is a really important way to avoid what I'm about to talk about and what I want you to talk about, actually. But it's a concept of avoiding gimmicks. So mm -hmm. I think we've all seen it all before, especially in business schools, because they're trying to keep up globally with one another and be on that global stage leading in this area of emerging tech, AI, etc. So we've seen it all before, business schools buying that bunch of tech, that kit, maybe it's the latest VR headset and suddenly now they're cutting edge or, you know, they're, they're buying the latest and greatest. But then when you scratch the surface and it doesn't take long, you can just do a light mm. scratch <laughs> and you can see very quickly that it's much more of a marketing ploy. It's smoke and mirrors. It's not that effective, integrated ecosystem of learning and it's not leveraging that emerging tech in that space. So what would your advice be? Because I, even in a conversation today, you're flagging so much around why do we do what we do? How do we create this for the learner? What does this do in terms of that fabric concept? But how would you advise institutions that maybe haven't chosen to invest in a chief learning innovation officer to guide those choices? How is what you're building differentiated? kind of approach and what would be some guidelines that you could share almost as a, a bit of sharing for those other institutions that are tempted perhaps to take that other approach? Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And I, I think this is where just to give some, you know, maybe even tactical advice is coming back to the learning sciences, right? So for me, learning is a full body expression, right? This is where your heart is, where your mind is. If you are looking at, for example, and I see this very much in some of our peer institutions, you look at their marketing on their, for example, VR, and you don't see controllers in the hands of the learners, that means that they're probably just looking at videos in VR. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point? So is it actually the use of the technology driving something forward that you wouldn't have had if you didn't have that technology in place? Everything that I've ever built, I go and watch the faculty and I say, is what I'm going to develop better than their incredible expertise in front of the classroom with a chalkboard or a PowerPoint and a conversation? If I can't bring more to the table, 
there's no point in me even, you know, getting to work on developing something. So one of the things that actually does bother me, and I, this might be a little bit controversial, and I'm not even sure if everybody here at IMD agrees with me, is bringing a classroom of, let's say, for example, executives or MBA students together, and then strapping them all into a VR game where they're all completely cut off from one another. They're having to learn to parlay in an environment where we're not actually maybe measuring you as a leader because you feel like you're in a very foreign space, and unless that's the intention of the experience. And so my latest thing that I'm working on is a 360 learning theater augmented reality gaming experience. And so this is really allowing leaders to use everything. And I say leader, but, you know, participants and students to really be in a space that is engaging. There's a story, there's non-player characters, there's goals in mind, learning objectives, and you can do you're using a phone. You can use everything else that you already have. You can use your facial expressions. You can see the other participants. You can see who maybe is not sure what to do and make it more natural. And so I guess to say, number one, bringing something to the table that you couldn't have brought unless you had this new thing that you're creating. Number two, are you actually moving from passive learning to active learning? And then number three, can we do something that's more natural? I think this is where the latest generation of XR headsets that do allow that mixed reality space is going to be really super critical. And I think as those form factors, I mean, right now we're in a pancaked form factor. We're, we're all excited about that. So they're lighter. You can have them on your head for longer. But as we move into them being glasses and, and other things, I, I think it's going to be really, really exciting. And how you overlay knowledge and experience and feedback and the actual real world environment of what it is to be a human, I think that's where we're going to have some very exciting potential in the immersive learning space. Amazing. That's exactly what I was hoping we would talk about in terms of that difference. I mean, such a key difference between an approach that says, let's become something by slapping on a headset or putting one piece of kit in play. What you're talking about is actually going into the learning space, having conversations with those who are leading in that area, being able to leverage new technologies small ways, big ways, creating almost, again, an ecosystem mm -hmm. of learning using a new tool. And I think that's where what you're building at IMD is so different than perhaps some of your competitors in this space. It's, it's a holistic approach using emerging tech. It is not just bringing in one item and saying, great, we've done it. And that's what exactly. thrills me about what you're doing. It's beautiful. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, and it really is thinking about the journey. It is thinking about being learner-centric. And I have a 10-point definition, if you're interested, <laughs> I can share. But these are principles that really guide what learner-centricity is uh, from a very practical definition standpoint. And a lot of those you know, points are around how we learn and in shifting from that sort of faculty-centric to learner-centric standpoint. But then the other thing is also being where the learner is and where they're tuned in. So some of what I'm looking at right now is how I deliver into the apps that they're already in and not making them get another thing from IMD that you have to download, figure out the login and all this stuff. So even from the get-go, thinking about being a learner easier. Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting to have this discussion because these are the conversations I'm having with my clients all the time, that it really is about embedding technology into their space. And how do we do that? How do we build that? How do we make that happen? I'd like to turn to perhaps a different conversation 
thinking about what you're doing in perhaps a broader way. So you are known the world over for your executive education and your real world impact for a range of industries. And one of the things that excites me about IMD is that you're facing head on some of those most substantial challenges of our time, sustainability, just yep. and equitable futures, health and well-being, and some of those deep challenges facing organizations and leadership from, say, character formation and ethical leadership to diverse and inclusive cultures. What are some of the ways that AI and immersive learning could help IMD have real world impact through tackling some of these complex issues like sustainability and climate change in an educational context? By way of example, I had a recent conversation with Julia Binder, who is head of our sustainability and research, incredible faculty. And I said, what are some of the conversations you're having in that space specifically? And she said, you know, Sarah, it's really interesting. Do we actually need to be worried about sustainability and do we need a strategy? It's moved from that to do we need it to we know we need it, but now how do we do it? And this is where I think immersive learning can really help to up the game and be a catalyst in this space because it is about understanding all the trade-offs. It is about operating in a lot of gray zones where you have to prioritize. You know, you still have to show profit to your shareholders. You still have to pay your employees and keep the lights on. But as you're driving to net zero, how do you do that in a way where you can still be a viable business? And this is where coming into these immersive learning worlds, you can start to really unpick a lot of what it might take to put together a holistic strategy like that. The other thing that's really great about serious games, immersive learning, is it's a wonderful way to develop across different disciplines. So this is where you are going to have your leadership, your communication, your persuasion, your DEI, you know, all of these aspects of it. These are some of the behaviors we want to see as you're working towards X, Y, and Z goals within the experience. So it's able to give you far more of a 360 view of how you're performing. What we are very excited about with some of the R&D that we're doing, especially in the XR space and using AI, is just how much can we actually pull from those behaviors and then make connections to these are some of the areas where we either recommend additional growth or this is additional data points for you to take forward. And you know how much of this can we instrument and how much can we just say, look, we saw you behaving this way. Take this information. We're not going to come to any conclusions, but we're going to let you know that when you were put in this crisis situation, you took up a lot of space and your team members didn't get to say a lot. FYI. <laughs> you know, so, so this is where I get very excited about immersive learning is it's really taking thought leadership. It's taking what the world society needs to really not just start dipping our toe into. I mean, we need climate solutions and we needed it 10 years ago. And this is really going to help organizations and students who are coming up through the ranks accelerate their knowledge and on day one be able to actually execute on that knowledge. That's what I get really excited about with respect to immersive learning. Great. Keeping in that same vein, Sarah, I lead on our EDI team at Spencer Group. And one of the beauties of working with IMD on your appointment was the deep alignment of our values around equality, diversity and inclusion. I've heard you raise the importance of inclusivity in XR settings. How are you tracking the evolution of AI, especially in that area of perpetuating existing biases? Where are the challenges and what are the ways forward? There are so many challenges. 
there's almost too many for the length of this podcast to go through all of them. It could be its own podcast. And in fact, this last month, me and the team have really been spending a lot of time really digging down and understanding, for example, what are all the biases we need to be concerned about with respect to generative AI? And how do we tune and try to check? And what are the latest ways from a technology standpoint to sort of keep some of those biases in check? And one thing that I think we probably all need to just acknowledge here is Generative AI was built off of humanity, right? It's a gigantic mirror of who we are. And that actually excites me that we now are talking about, well, look, there's so much bias. And I'm like, this has been my whole career in technology, folks, as a woman, (laughs) like Mm. dealing with a lot of bias about my technology acumen, having to explain myself more than I see my male counterparts having to. Like this exists, whether it's a human or a bot and a machine. And now it's what do we do with this information and how do we get better as we start to build more and more collaboration with generative AI? And I think that because I am a glass half full person, I'm always going to be an optimist. I think we have an opportunity now with this huge mirror in front of us to actually enhance and and advance a lot of the DEI and equity and inclusion issues that we've been plagued with for centuries and centuries. So lots of excitement there. But from a practical standpoint, we are building a lot of capability in to our generative AI to look at and acknowledge and also in some ways embrace the fact, look, we just gave you this answer and we feel kind of medium about like medium warmth (laughs) about the fact that we gave you this answer because we don't see enough from our corpus to actually back up. So this could be generative AI kind of making some stuff up. So it is about taking things with a grain of salt. It is about also being automatic about the knowledge that these systems give you. It's about thinking critically. It's about questioning. It's about making sure that you take time to really say, is this actually right before you then take that idea forward? So it's a whole new way of working, but I I really do think we need to become better collaborators with this tech. And this is going to be a whole new area of skills that we're going to be seeing that all of us are going to need. Amazing. Thank you, Sarah. And what a good way to think about this generative AI as a reflection, as a mirror of the world. What do we want society? What should society look like? What is generative AI telling us about ourselves? And how do we adjust to make it more of the way it should be, more the way that is right, the way that is true, the way that it is good. And I really appreciate and value your approach. And I'm keen to see what this looks like practically as you continue to build your tools at IMD. Finally, Sarah, this has been such a great conversation, but you and I love talking about the future of learning. And I think we could spend hours and hours talking, and we have (laughs) in the past. (laughs) Just give us, perhaps as we close, a tiny peek into Sarah Tom's future vision. We know that tech predictions can be a dangerous tightrope, so I'm not asking you to do that to yourself necessarily. But what are you most excited about when you think about leveraging a range of technologies to dynamically enhance the learner journey? We've spent most of the time today talking about this, but are there other pieces that you'd say, well, actually, I wish we had talked about this, or there's something else that really thrills me, or there's this new opportunity. What is getting you excited right now? I use this word all the time, democratization, right? And when I came to the Wharton School 11, 12 years ago, one thing I noticed very quickly was there was haves and have-nots in higher education. There was the Whartons, the Harvards, the Stanfords. These are universities with very deep pockets. They can make a lot of bets and experiments, and they can afford to have a lot of those bets and experiments not take flight. 
And the same at IMD, you know, I'm in a very privileged position at a world famous institution with resources. Um, we are scrappy. We are entrepreneurial. We're being very careful with how we invest. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm okay if I make a few mistakes and my organization will hopefully still have my back. No, I know they will. I'm just joking. But when I look at organizations, when I look at higher education and schools where there's lots and lots of brilliant ideas and they may not have all of the funding to invest in those ideas, what gets me excited about the openness, the approach to even open AI with all of its flaws, it provides something at a very low cost that anybody can hook into this deep chasm of information and can start building AI generated experiential learning or innovation within their institution. So the democratization to the access to these really, really powerful tools and capabilities really, really excites me. And so as in love with IMD and as excited as I am about the future, and there's lots that I can't share today, but I am looking forward to coming back and sharing with you uh, not too far from now. I am really, really excited to see what happens with that small university in wherever, and also with collaborating with them as well. It's about allowing more expertise to come into the world. And this is what worries me about OpenAI is it's very North American centric. When you ask it about the future of sustainability, it's basically very excited and says, you know, technology will solve it all. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's written like OpenAI and Google. Uh, so we need to be careful also about kind of those cultural biases as well. So yeah, I, hopefully I've answered that question, but I'm just really excited about opening this up and having more expertise at the table. Amazing, Sarah. I think today has just given me so much excitement around what you're building and the conversation that you're having more broadly, that approach to being generous, that approach, even what you've just described about being collaborative with other institutions. That is not always the case, as you know. And I think for anyone involved in this space, who's trying to be world leading, trying to be the one who is instituting a range of technologies to help the learner. Having that focus of being generous, of being collaborative, that is absolutely at the forefront of what you're describing. When you think about that hyper-personalized learning journey, embedding AI, marrying it with other immersive tech to drive this forward, to create that holistic ecosystem across your institution, and then also be doing this for greater value items such as world challenges, challenges across social justice issues, thinking about the way that generative AI reflects us as a culture, as a society, addressing those challenges, coming to grips with it. And then even what you've just shared about the future of learning and the excitement, it really comes back to your driving philosophy, Sarah, which I value so greatly. And what I've seen in you since day one about that generosity, that openness. And I am absolutely delighted with what you're building at IMD. And I think it really is a model for other institutions to follow. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really grateful to speak. Absolute pleasure, Micah. Anytime and always such a pleasure to speak.